Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last 10 years we've been working in all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland. Thank you for downloading episode 7 of Inside the West End. Follow us on Twitter at Inside West End, or if you want to contact us, then email InsideTheWestEnd at gmail.com. Coming up, we speak to actor Damien Humley. Damien and I first met on my first West End show, Fiddler on the Roof, at the Savoy Theatre back in 2007. Damien's an Aussie actor. He came over to the UK and went straight into the West End as a leading man. Uh, since then, he's one of those actors who you look at his CV and he's got some really creative credits on there. Not every show he's been in has been a big commercial success, but he's one of those actors who's done the sort of jobs that other actors constantly say they would love to do. So he came around to my flat to explain to us how that career has come about. And here's the conversation. My name is Damien Humley, and you're listening to Inside the West End. Damien Judith Humbly. That's actually not my name. You've made that <laughs> My name is You've... Damien Alain Humbly. It's French. It's not female. It's French. Oh. Um, funnily enough, though, my mother did call me. She, she says that it's actually Elaine, because uh, with the Australian accent, she says, I called you Damien Elaine Humbly. I said, why did you call me Elaine Humbly? And they said, because... Uh, I like the name Alan, and I like French, so I, I decided to make it French Alan. I said, well, then French Alan is Alain, so I will constantly <laughs> call myself Alain because I will not be called Damien Alain, humbly, uh, but it's not Judith, not even close. Yikes. Um, so, Damien, your career, I mean, you, you, you've done a huge variety of stuff, but we, before we get onto that, I want to take you right back uh, and talk about young Damien. I grew up single mother in uh, Queensland, uh, and I was raised with my grandparents for about 14 years. Um, ah, and I would always, of course, as every one of us being in this industry would do, would be seeking attention a lot of the time. And what was the dynamic like living in the house with your mum and your grandparents? Amazing. We got a very close family anyway, so that was great. I mean, I didn't have a, I didn't have a father or anything like that, but, um, uh, but my grandparents having that kind of generation, I actually think was, uh, was very helpful. I quite enjoyed having different perspectives of a, an older generation and my mother. And what kind of people were they? What, what did they do for work? What was the? Oh, uh, there was Salvation Army. They grew up. So I grew up Salvation Army. Um, I'm not at the moment. I drink far too much for that. But my uh, my grandparents. Uh, what did, my nan was an accountant, and my pop used to sing with the Salvation Army. Uh, and he worked in movie theaters and managed movie theaters uh, in Papua New Guinea, actually. And they had five children, and uh, one of them happened to be my mum. And she's a, and still is a nurse, midwife. What is your earliest memory in that case of performing and getting a reaction from it where you go, oh, I'm good at this, this is something I could do? I don't think I ever thought uh, in my youth that I was, I was good at it. Uh, I, did, I did get a lot of response that told me that I should continue with it. I did a lot of work experience with the police. I did a lot of kind of all my career th- uh, choices were geared towards um, legal studies and all those sort of things. And I, uh, 
once that fell through, I, I didn't know what to do. And my mum said, you should, because I was always in theatre school. I think it was just a... Is that like you're going along to singing classes, acting classes? Uh, yeah, yeah. It would be like once a week you would yeah. go. It would, be, it would be pretty much parents get rid of your kids for a few hours on a Saturday morning yeah, so you yeah. can enjoy breakfast together. So once, you, once we become teenagers, we start to figure out who we are. What were those things? Who were you as a teenager? I was a fat kid, didn't have very many friends. And uh, I, uh, I just kind of uh, invented a lot of things in my own head. So I played in the backyard for quite a bit. Uh, by myself um, sounds like he didn't need other people to supply you with entertainment like no I remember mum saying to me quite a bit like can you go entertain yourself or something like that that, that was that was very much a, uh, a sentence I remember but I also think that that developed a certain amount of uh, self-reliance a certain amount of inventiveness as well I think mm. it certainly helped me in this particular industry I think so during this period at secondary school you are as it's winding up you're, you're looking to go into work in law mm. Is theatre still a part of, the, of your life at secondary school? Yeah, towards yeah the end? it absolutely is. But I always thought it was a hobby. I yeah. always thought it was something. You know, when, I, when I, I was trying to figure out what to do after that, my mum said, well, why don't you do this, this singing thing and this theatre thing that you, you've been doing? And I said, because you can't earn any money from that. And the jury is still out on that. But I, uh, <laughs> what made you think you couldn't earn, earn money at that? Or, or, or well, because it's the arts. It's not a stable career. It's the same thing that every parent tells their child about. Like even us as actors, if we have kids and, and my kid says to me, I want to be an actor like you, Daddy. I'd be like, I think you should be a nuclear physicist. That's what I think, or a mathematician. It's the world's perception of it, isn't it? You know, it's it's freelance. It's in the moment. How can you not know how you're going to pay your bills next month? Or, you know, if you're not in a long-running show or a long-running telly series or anything like that, it's so kind of up in the air. So when did you think, actually, I am going to try this? Um, well, I did a, a part-time course after um, uh, high school. And then I saw in the paper... Um, it was an advertisement for a school called the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. And they were, uh, it was a course, BA, in music, majoring in musical theatre. And immediately, as soon as I thought, saw that, I was like, that's what I want to do right there. So um, uh, that's kind of the, the, the tipping point, I think, to why what made me end up doing that. So I, I, I moved over to Perth, which uh, is on the other side of the country. You've got Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne on the east side, and you've got Perth on the west side. How, how did it feel to be there? How did it feel to leave home? Uh... Oh, yeah, like everyone, change is always the hardest thing, isn't it? But it's the one constant thing that we have in the world. The great thing about Perth, and answer your question, how that feel was, and this is in retrospect, there wasn't anything to do in Perth. So what you would do is you would study. You would spend the weekends, or I'd spend the weekends, I'd come in on a Saturday and I'd go into a practice room and I'd get a piece of music and spend a lot of time experimenting, spend a lot of time kind of, you know, you, you get into a, a room, you lock it and you see what you can do because that to me was all I could kind of do in Perth. So you really do focus. Because it's so removed, you don't have people coming over and seeing your crap first year piece. You don't have anyone coming over and judging you from your second year piece. You can fail abysmally and still come out on third year with the skills whereas you know I get a, just embarrassing the training yeah, and you can and then three years later you come out and you, you've gone through that growth you've, you've done your crap work and you've failed a lot of very successful performers haven't trained yeah right they've not done the training what is your opinion of, of drama skills and, and from you would have worked with a lot of people who didn't train do you think um, do you think it's necessary I don't know if necessary is the, is the term but I think like anything it's, it's, it's helpful because even if people have a natural skill set, if they have a natural skill set, there's a, there's a language that you, you, you learn when you're training that allows you to communicate to another actor. You know, simple, if you're talking about beats, if you're talking about uh, simple structure to script, if you're talking about all those things, you can, you can efficiently talk about that when you have training because you all understand the language. 
There's that. I also think that um, if you're doing a show, eight shows a week, being in the moment and and truly immersive in that environment and, and doing that show is great and will happen maybe two, three times a week. But the rest of it is acting and the rest of it is skill set and the rest of it is, is training that you build up. You can't do that eight shows a week, nor should you do that eight shows a week. You... If you're if you're doing King Lear eight shows a week and you're fully in the mindset and the body of King Lear for eight shows a week, you will exhaust yourself and die. Um, but if it's about developing a skill set, what training I think gives you is a is a conscious skill set of how you can replicate certain things. And I'm not saying that you you check out while you're doing a show or anything, but it does teach you that you, you to give a hundred percent at the very beginning is great. But if you give a hundred percent three months down the track, that's going to appear like 150% because like any muscle in any part of our body, it's, it's, you're wearing it in, aren't you? And what training, and, you know, to a degree, doing it uh, helps you develop. I remember someone asking me, because everyone wants to try and plot their careers when they're 20, <laughs> I've got a five-year plan. I don't even know what I'm doing in five weeks. You know, they'll try and plot it and say, well, where should I, I study? Because if I study at this place, then I'll, I'll be seen as this, and this will go down on my CV that I studied at RADA or I did that. And there's all those kind of um, neuroses that happen. And I always say, study where you want to learn the skills. You know, forget about the CV. If you've got the skills, you can, the CV might get you into a room. But so will good skills with a good agent. Do you know what I mean? You, there's been a lot of focus in training, and there was with me as well, on what happens when you get a job, so when you're actually doing the job, and not a lot of training on everything, which is a lot of the time of what happens in between. The mindset of being freelance. There's not a lot of training on how you go through your everyday life and not constantly live in a world of, uh, this is not the way my life should be. I should be going from job to job to job. You know, you do a crap audition, that's going to stay with you for months. You do a good one, that'll stay with you for a little bit, and you'll identify with that for a week until you don't get a phone call, and then you get a phone call saying, yeah, they went another way, you know, and then you go, oh, what did I do wrong in that? And then that stays with you for another few weeks. I mean, there's so many things they don't teach you about this industry that is the, the most important part of this industry. Here's an example. When I got to this country, um, you know, I was very lucky. I got here and timing-wise there was a show auditioning and I got the show, got the job that I wanted and I worked. And then after that I got uh, another job and then after that I got another job. So there's, you know, you could think that's amazing. So for the first two, week, two years of being in, in London I've, I've been working. But the crap thing is that I never met anyone. The unfortunate thing is it didn't prepare me for being out of work. That is the most valuable skill about this industry, and they don't teach you that. And what can happen is that they teach you maybe how to stay employed, so therefore your your skills get a little bit kind of dulled down so that you can fit into the ensemble of a show. For, I do think that the most important thing about training to me is training your mind to not... because that informs what we do, to understand a character or to understand hum, humanity or the human condition or whatever it is, to be able to the story properly is informed by who we are as people the writer did all the character work it's your telling of that story or your connection to 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 those words that the script is informing you of that that, that make you great actors and so how can you not how can you do that well if the mindset isn't right for actually living your life or being 
or, or being content with where you are when you're not employed, you know? I want to ask you about uh, that period when you were at drama school. You leave drama school, you start working in Australia. I didn't really work in Australia a lot. I, I graduated uh, in 2000. I did Oliver. That lasted about a year. And then uh, I didn't work for about a year after that. And then I did a production of Urine Town for Melbourne Theatre Company. And then I didn't work after that. So I didn't really work in Oz. In that period of time... What are your aspirations as a performer? What do you want to achieve at that point? I made, a, I made a choice very early on that I always wanted to do good work and I always wanted to be um, respected by peers. And that, that was kind of what motivated me with work. However, those choices are irrelevant, I guess, when you are uh, just out of drama school because you need to work and you want to work and, and the only you know you, you're trying to understand is, does work breed work and does, you know, is a good actor one who is working? Uh, uh, or am I just a guy sipping a latte on the side of the street calling myself an actor for five years and not doing any jobs other than working in a bar? Um, it so happened fortuitously that the jobs that I have ended up getting have been able to gear that thought, uh, that line of thought of, of wanting to just do good work. I mean, you know, yeah, I haven't done um, Phantom or I haven't done Lame Mears or anything like that. I have auditioned for them several times. Uh, and I've been uh, lucky or unlucky not to get them. Uh, and that's that's not a judgment on any of those yeah. shows um, because I love those shows and, and those shows are what inspired us to do what we... I don't know about you guys, but, oh God, I listened to the symphonic recording, like three discs of the international cast of Les Mis from beginning to end as a child over and over again. Phantom of the Opera, same thing. Like, this is what we grew up on. Mm. It's, it's a bit of both. It's yeah. a bit of a... You know what? It's later in life that I make the conscious choice. Mm. In answer to your question, I think a lot of it was luck that led to a career that I wanted, that, that now in, as I'm 36, I wanted. Did you, when you moved to London, I mean, in terms of getting an agent, um, getting your first work, how did that how that happen? That? I landed in March 2005, and I came over with my uh, my girlfriend at the time. I I was that young, stubborn, aggressive Australian, annoying Australian. I'm sure. I can't think of yeah. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. No, thing. no. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a stereotype. Um, but I was that to a degree as well. Um, and I had sent my stuff off to Cameron's office. I'd sent my stuff off to David Greenrod's office. I sent my stuff off to any office I could think, Lloyd Webber's office. And uh, I auditioned for, I got some auditions. I kept pestering people. And I remember coming in and I, you know, the amount of prep that I would sing stuff. You know, when you're a kid, you sing stuff to your horse. Because I know this song and I will work this song. I got an audition for Les Mis. I went in once for, I went in twice for Les Mis. And three times for Woman in White, and on the third time with Woman in White, I, um, uh, it went very well. And I ended up getting some calls afterwards, saying, "Am I around later in the day to maybe meet Andrew or something?" And I got a very distinct impression that this could go really well. Uh, Woman in White offered me, I think, a few days later. And what well, was in your brain? Because you, like, you know, you've moved here from Australia, where you're doing bits and bobs, and like you've said, you're not doing a huge amount. It's not there aren't fireworks. You rock up in London with this confidence and go into these auditions and you're suddenly going to be playing a Jew of Leeds in I, a West End show. There was a lot of things at the time that uh, were uh, affecting it directly. There's a, a lack of understanding because I came in not, not at all cocky, not at all. And, you know, looking back to that kid, that's why, because that kid had his grandparents around, that kid had his mum. The kid was hopefully relatively grounded. I think 
I just didn't understand it. To me, that was that's what happens. You come to London and you work at getting a, a job and you get the job. I think I think the understanding came later. The mind job came later when I would work and work and work, and then after two years, nothing was kind of happening. I didn't work for two years after Phil on the roof. No, one year after Phil on the roof. And uh, that's when the mind job happens. Mm. Now, what am I doing with my life? You're a very confident person. You're not with in my you, brain. With, so, <laughs> you, well, on the outside, as, as, yeah, looking, looking at you, you come across as very confident. Where do you think that comes from? Confidence can be misconstrued, uh, especially with my accent, <laughs> into arrogance. And I think that the, the, because of the original term is, is, is a confidence in your own skill set. It's nothing that you can bring across to anyone. Uh, you can put on cocky. You can put on arrogance. I don't think you can put on confidence because the, idea, the, the very basis of the word confidence requires you to have a, a certain understanding of yourself and your own skill set. So you can't actually put it on. So I, I, think, I think the word I would like to use is an understanding. There's a, there's a myth that, that, that we have control of any of it. There's a myth that we be a certain way and people will just give us jobs. I think there's, a, there's an understanding that, and a confidence I have in my skill set. You're saying confidence, and I, I would like to think it's more of an understanding of that there is nothing you can do to get a job other than be prepared for when the opportunity comes up to present your skills. Hope you're enjoying the conversation. Stay with us and we'll be back to the chat in a moment. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We release a new episode every Sunday. And if you're subscribed, it'll just appear on your device ready for you to listen to. Whether you're using an iPhone or an Android or a laptop of some kind, it's easy to subscribe. All you need to do is go to your normal podcast app. If it's an iPhone, then next to the logo of our show, you'll see a little settings wheel that looks like a cog. Click on that. A few options down. It says subscribe. Or if you're using an Android phone, then on the Double Pod app next to the logo of our show is the subscribe button. Easy as that. And the best part is it's totally free. Make sure you stay tuned right to the end of this episode and you'll hear a clip revealing who's on next week's show. Now back to the chat with Damien. Uh, Damien, it feels like the industry is going down a path where social media is becoming far more important than almost... The world is going down that path. Is that something um, you're, you're aware, actively aware of, or how yeah, do you react to that? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, actively aware of it. Um, it's a hard one because, you know, I, I really want to live in a world where you let the work speak for itself. I think it's about the way you want the world to view you. And again, about presenting confidence or presenting a certain thing. None of it's real. It's funny as well. Like people on, on Twitter, you, they'll have conversations over Twitter with people that you see happen, and they don't even know each other. And they'll say, you're my bestie. And you guys have actually in real life said two words from each other and might see each other at an audition and go, hey, yeah, I'm Damien. Nice to meet you. Do you know what I mean? Or um, it is, uh, But everything relies on it, doesn't it? Everything relies on it. I remember someone... Um, a show, won't say it. The marketing department came in and said, so guys, there's a Twitter account for this particular show. You know, every week, if one of you wants to take control of it and you can tweet about the show and, and tweet things that are happening in the dressing room, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's not my job. My job is to do this other thing. There's a thing in the world that no one seems to think about longevity. No one seems to think about what are we going to do in 20 years time? Like, Right now, we can tweet the hell out of everything. We can take photos of backstage. But doesn't that, doesn't that destroy the very essence of what we're trying to do on stage? Let the work speak for itself. Exactly. And you and know that- what? I fully acknowledge that I may not, most likely will not work as much as 
I would like to. Yeah. Um, and it's not a stance of going, well, I'm going to cut off my nose to spite my face and blah, blah, blah. It's just I do better work when I'm not indulging in how awesome I am on social media. Your approach to auditions now, has it changed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's one of those things that we spoke about before about um, there's nothing you can do. You can prep the hell out of it. But you've also got to understand that the reason you may not get the job has nothing nothing to do with um, with the skills that you're presenting in the room. Again, you may be too short. You may be, you don't go with this girl. Perhaps they're looking at a certain celebrity for that, but they've got to fill their quota of seeing people. Perhaps they're going to bring someone in from overseas. Now, all that aside, you've also got someone who's on the panel who's trying to justify his position of being in that room, and then you've got the other person over here going, well, if he speaks too much, then I need to, I need to just say something so that people know that I'm here and so that I... I'm, I'm valuable. And then you've got the casting director who's doing 50, you know, 50 auditions, 50 calls, because they need to justify why they exist. So there's so many things going on in the room, in any room, not just an audition room, that have nothing to do with what you're presenting. So I guess the mindset is uh, that the change that has happened over the years is remembering that not to identify with, with what, I, what I bring into that room as being who I am or anything like that, and therefore not getting the job is nothing to do with who I am. As far as you're concerned, what makes a good agent? Um, I think what makes a good agent is someone who, from, from an actor's point of view, is someone who understands what you do, understands what you don't do, and, um, and works together with you on stuff. We are in an industry which, as everyone knows, is, is not secure. How do you cope with the insecurity and the ups and downs of it? Go with it. I think a lot of pain generally is from the resistance of what is actually happening. And that can cause a lot of uh, bitterness of going, this is not the way my career should be going, or I should be doing this stuff, or people should see me as this, and why aren't people getting... Well, I hope the answer is to just not identify with success as being who you are, and therefore you won't identify with failure as being who you are either. Is the industry a game which you need to learn how to play? No. The only thing you need to learn how to play is board games. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. It fills me with a lot of hope. <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a moment uh, there or at any point in your career where you went, you know what? Yeah. I've had enough of this. Oh, you know what? I, I Don't get me wrong. All the stuff we're talking about, I, I, I go through that regularly. Mm. Of like with anything, again, not just this industry, but when, when it gets too tough, you kind of question. You're constantly reflecting. After Tanner, um, yeah, it was something that I auditioned for just after Little Shop, I think. And I got, the, I got it, workshopped it. Then we, we went to uh, Plymouth, um, but eventually we got into town. Now, this by the time we'd gotten to, to Plymouth, it starts to be written around what you can do. Is that they start to go, well, Damien can do this, so let's do this. Um, let's, let's try and write it this kind of way. And it's great for you as an actor because you think, hey, no one else will ever play this. I will be doing this till I die. Um, <laughs> and so uh, the problem that comes along with this, so identifying with that and kind of going, uh, it, you know, this show is going to be great because I, 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 it was a wonderful show, I think. Um, not without its flaws, but when we ran in town, we, um, we ran for nine weeks and it was received meh. So that's kind of heartbreaking. Um, but then when it closes after nine weeks, you kind of think, if this, so this thing has been written around what I do, it started to get written. I'm not at all implying that. They said, let's write a show around Damien Humbly. So when that doesn't, when, when the show closes because no one wants to come and see it, you, you can't help but look and go, well, if that's what I do well and no one wants to see it, then what, what am I doing? 
you can't help but think, well, that's successful and, and this isn't. So therefore, um, I, uh, what am I doing? What am I doing? But here's a story for you. Uh, with Lemia Tenner, uh, I remember that um, one of the producers saying this because they were standing in the box office. This was a matinee show day. The problem was with Lemia Tenner is you couldn't get them in. Once they were in there, every single show, standing ovation. But we couldn't get them in. So this producer is standing in the box office and the box office manager's at the front. Uh, and these ladies come in from Les Miserables next door. And they said, we couldn't get into Les Miserables next door with Alfie Bow. Uh, what can you give us? Now, we were five minutes before curtain up or something like that. And the, the box office manager looked around to the producer. The producer just nodded. And the box office manager turned back around and said, look, I can do best seats in the house for £15, but I can't go any lower than that. Out of those nine people, three of them stayed. I don't know what else you need to do. There's no, there were no celebrities mm. in the show. It was just a good show. So I, I don't know. That, that also makes it, you look at, uh, at what you're doing and kind of go, I'm in an industry that doesn't value skills. But also then you look at the greater picture and go, actually, I'm in a society that doesn't value yeah. skills. They value celebrity. They value fame. They value all that sort of stuff. Can I be on my, you know, how many Twitter followers? You know, there's auditions that go around that, that say we won't even look at anyone that has less than 10,000 Twitter followers. And you're like, are you freaking serious? A number of the productions you've been in, being original cast or revivals, have been nominated for all the different award ceremonies. What's your take on, on, on the award ceremonies of London? How do you view them? Is it something that's kind of is important to you? Um, it used to be, you know. It, it, uh, honestly, it, it used to be because you grow up and you watch the Oscars and you grow up and you watch the Tony Awards and you're like... Everyone is giving their speech in the shower when they're growing up about when they accept their best actor and leading role in whatever it is. So it used to be something to kind of strive for, but like everything, everything now is about celebrity. The fact that you could go to the Olivier's and every best actor in a play is some Hollywood name that's come over to London or is a British actor that works in Hollywood or something. You're like, are you, are you meaning to say that the only people worthy of a Best Actor nomination in a play in London are people that have massive movie careers. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not dissing anyone who wins an award in the same way that I'm not dissing anyone who's nominated and loses an award. Again, let the work speak for itself. You love theatre. I love it. Theatre is, the, is, is all about community. It's about everyone sitting here in the audience, standing there on the stage, being there backstage, all for this present moment, not thinking about anything, not thinking about anything, but witnessing whatever the journey is for this moment. And that's what theatre's about. What advice yes. would you give to anyone who wants to work inside the West End? Um, I would say uh, have fun and be good at what you do and then let the rest be in the hands of the gods. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Not at all. Thanks for having me, guys. I love talking about theatre. I love talking about stuff like that. A big thank you to Damien for taking the time to speak to us. He was actually very, very patient with us. We had a few technical difficulties uh, when we started the interview, but he kindly sat and waited for 45 minutes while we sorted <laughs> out our microphone, uh, mainly due to me being technically inept. So, Damien, thanks. We really appreciate it. Also, a massive thank you to you, our listeners. We have listeners all around the world, thousands of you out there listening to us. So get in contact with us. We love to hear what you think of the show. On Twitter, at Inside West End. Thank you to you guys who have already written reviews on iTunes about what we're doing. We really appreciate it. It really helps us keep the momentum going and keeping us in the charts. So thanks to you guys. Uh, word of mouth also helps that. If you know anyone who likes theatre or likes listening to podcasts generally, tell them about what we're doing. Uh, we've lined up some really exciting guests for the upcoming episodes. So spread the word. 
Remember to stay tuned to the very end for a clip of the next episode. But before that, we make this podcast for free. If you've enjoyed it and you'd like to help us make future episodes, then here's how you can. Next time you shop online with Amazon, visit insidethewestend.com first. Click on any of the Amazon adverts on our site. It will take you straight to Amazon. Your shopping will cost you exactly the same as normal, but Amazon will give us a small kickback as a thank you. Also on InsideTheWestEnd.com, you'll see a donate button. If you'd like to make a direct contribution, then click on the button and follow the link. Now, as promised, we have a clip of next week's episode with the star of the West End revival of Miss Saigon and shortly the Broadway transfer. It's Eva Noblezada. You've played the lead role in a West End show and on Sunday night you were performing at the Olivier's as Eponine and last night you opened in Les Mis mm-hmm. as Eponine. How old are you again? 20. Does it still blow your mind? It does, yeah. I try to be really chill with it or else like, I'm like a puppy on cocaine. I really don't want to act like that mm. my whole day. But it's easy. I can do that. It's just great. I'm, I'm trying to get used to it in a way that um, helps me feel a bit more adult-like and responsible because and, it, it helps me get through the day and get my stuff done. Yeah.